Before we uh, jump into our uh, teaching series, Communication Goals, uh, I want a relationship goals. Today we're talking about communication. I want to show you a photo of what I've been up to uh, this week. I went to the Epicenter of Progressive Culture in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That was a joke. Wake up, everybody. Uh, and this is Pastor Mike Todd, the gentleman in the Pittsburgh pirate hat. Why anyone is a fan of anything in Pittsburgh is beyond me. But uh, Mike leads one of the fastest growing churches. He's a millennial. He's 32, reaching Gen Z, which you'll care about in a second in my message. Uh, Jesus, in the humor of God, uh, they outgrew their building and they had to buy uh, the, an event center in Tulsa. And three weeks ago, when we, t- we toured their church, people were still unpacking their boxes. And three weeks ago, they moved into this event center and 5,300 people came, not on Easter, but on a regular Sunday to hear about Jesus. And so what, what, the reason why I show you this photo is uh, CDF Capital is the organization that funded our move into this facility, right? And so part of that was an opportunity for the next lead minister uh, to connect with phenomenal pastors, preachers, teachers from around the world, around the country rather, uh, to meet with key speakers like Mike Todd. And so I just want to say thank you because if you had not stepped into uh, the next giving campaign, I uh, would not have been able to go uh, to this for, for free. And it was, an, it was a gift that CDF gave to me uh, as your lead communicator to grow in leadership, to grow in communication. So whether you know, know that or not, uh, things happen when we're generous, whether we're aware of them or not. So I just wanted to say thank you for your generosity, which is helpful today because we're talking about communication, right? If you are raising a 10-year-old to a 24-year-old, you know what lack of communication actually feels like, right? One of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs is called Communication Breakdown. Uh, Gen Z has, like, as if the English language is difficult enough, uh, Gen Z has their own language. And uh, I don't know, man, if you're parenting a 10-year-old to a 24-year-old, it can be really hard to understand what they're saying or what they're texting to you. So because I love you and I'm your pastor, and if you're a parent, you should give more as a, hey, thank you for helping connect with my kid. That went over a lot better first service. I want to... <laughs> I want to define some terms your 10-year-old or 24-year-old is saying around the house, right? The first is this. Uh, they, they have a Finsta account. Now, this is usually in connection with Instagram. Could go for all social media platforms. But in the 90s, <clears throat> when my parents got on my nerves, which was never because I was perfect, uh, I would say, get out of my room. Get out of my room in 2019 means, oh no, mom and dad are on Facebook, let me jump on Instagram. Oh no, mom and dad are on Instagram, let me jump on Snapchat. And it goes on, it's the digital way to say, get out of my room, right? And so a Finsta account is, uh, I know students, you know, I, I, I love you, but you're going to hate me for sharing your secret. A Finsta account is basically, you have your own Instagram account where mom and dad, grandma, grandpa follow you and everything's nice and lovely, you post those photos. But a Finsta is like a ghost account. It's like a fake account. It's a hidden account where it's you and 10 of your friends and you post some stuff that maybe you wouldn't talk about around the Christmas table, right? Another word or phrase that uh, students say uh, is the word Gucci, not the purse, but when you were in English class learning superlatives, I'm just here to tell you, I, 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 wouldn't, I don't know. When you were learning good, better, or best, a Gen Zer would say, no, 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 it's not good, better, or best. Man, that's awesome. It's Gucci. It's the best of the best. Aren't you feeling so educated right now? 
All the, all, the, all the parents are nodding. So uh, grandparents, you, you can throw down at Thanksgiving when you know what these words are. Another word is mood. When a student says mood, or they're not going to say that. They just say the word mood. They just means that they vibe with it, right? They, well, let me explain that. They just connect with it, right? When something's mood, it's something that they endorse or confirm that something is relatable. Now, when I work out, I like to crush my workouts, but a Gen Zer would say, I'm going to go slay my workout, okay? They, they didn't buy a machete at Home Depot. They're not going to, you know, cut anybody up. It just means they're going to go crush something, like they're going to go slay. That sounded weird. They're going to go slay their workout or their test uh, next uh, period. Now, one of, the, um, one of the moms in the photo, Kelly Carr, she told me of a new phrase her daughter introduced to her family. So I'm learning as you are, parents. Uh, her daughter said, hey, mom, spill the tea. And her mom, yeah, all the, all the Gen Z was like, I know what that is. But her mom's like, spill the tea. Are you nuts? Like, you're not drinking anything. She's like, no, spill the tea, mom. It means tell me the latest gossip. Oh, okay, because I see how A and B and you're crazy. My, my favorite word that Gen Zers use when they're in a, a collective and something awesome happens, they just yell out this word, yeet, right? Anybody, anybody, yeah, yeah, all my, Gen Z, all my Gen Zers are like, yes, I know. It sounds like a deformed hippo at the zoo, parents. But at the end of the day, this is the language they speak. Right? On top of the whole puberty thing, and they smell, and they got pimples on their faces. Right? No? Just me. Okay. Yeah, but communication can easily break down, even in our family. And you're not even fighting. You're just like, what are you saying? Right? (laughs) Use words that I understand. Communication is easy to break down, right? Because we communicate with our words. We communicate with our hands. We communicate through silence. And we even, moms, communicate with our eyes. Anybody identify with this photo right here? The mom stare, right? Little Michelle Obama and everybody loves Raymond. I remember when my brothers and I, because that's when we thought, like, sorry, uh, kids, but wrestling isn't real, I know. But when we thought wrestling was real, we were pounding each other. My mom would be in the kitchen making dinner or something, uh, doing a chore that we probably forgot to do, and she would yell out, Ben Graham, Nathan, and we knew, right, like through the, through the wall, she was giving us the mom stare. Communication's hard because there's so many different ways to communicate. There's so many ways to be heard, and there's so many ways to be misunderstood. And so while communication can be an entire series, I just want to focus on one aspect of our communication. To be honest, I'm not really good at it, so I'm not here to say I'm the expert in this, but it's actually in in listening, in listening. Not listening to um, respond, but listening to understand. Uh, James was a brother, if you knew the Bible, James was a brother of Jesus, Um, So if anybody (laughs) had to have the exercise and the discipline to listen well, it's probably James. Like, can you, I don't know, I don't know if I'd want to be Jesus's brother, right? Like, your mom's saying, why can't you be like your brother Jesus, like, all the time? Well, because he's perfect, and he actually was, because he, like, claimed to be God. But James has some really good wisdom for us that will help us in our communication. It'll help you be a better student, a better parent a better coworker, a better life group leader, uh, and even a life group member. In James 1.19, James says this, My dear brothers and sisters, 
Take note of this. Now, in John, let's pause right there. In John, when Jesus would um, identify himself, I'm the way, I'm the good shepherd, he would say truly, truly, or verily, very, verily, whatever, doesn't matter, it just depends on the translation you're reading. What he's trying to say is, listen, listen. Now, the church answer is, isn't everything Jesus says important? Yes, but according to Jesus, there are some things that are weightier, that are heavier than other things that he says. A Bible word for something that is heavy is something that is glorious. The word for glory in the Hebrew and the Greek is the word for heavy. It's a, it's a weighty moment, you know, like your, your wedding, the birth of your first child or second child. You don't want to exclude the middle kids, right? Um, th- these are weighty moments, and this is what James is saying. It's, this is a listen to this more than other things that I have to say in my letter. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How many of you are experts in this? Don't raise your hand because you're lying. (laughs) Right? This is really hard because we are programmed to listen, to respond. We like being the experts at everything. We like nice things. I've got two things on my person right now that are from Apple, right? We like quality things. If we're going to you know, take time to listen to somebody. Don't they want my advice? <laughs> Not always. What are some barriers to listening? Well, number one is that we're just me focused. We're in a culture that values the first person plural, or it's all about me, me, myself, and I. And to be honest with you, this is not a sermon series on social media. Social media is not good or bad. It's indifferent. It's what we do with it. But we live in a social media culture that elevates our status when we look awesome, right? Where it's all about us, even though uh, inwardly, after we hit send and post something, we don't feel as awesome. One writer, Adam McHugh, from, uh, wrote a book called The Listening Life, said this, Good listening starts with a scandalous premise that this conversation is not about you. Now, what I love about that is that if he's telling the truth, which I I think he is, the onus of figuring everything out is not on me. Uh, Something that we don't say often in our culture because we don't value it is just the statement, I I don't know. I, I I don't know the solution to that, right? People wig out when they ask a pastor, Hey, why does God allow suffering to happen to, and then they go into it, and the pastor says, I, yeah, I don't, that's a, I don't, I don't know. Well, aren't you the expert in God? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to follow him as much as you are. In our culture, we don't value an honest response of, I don't know, and we put all this undue pressure on us to be me-focused and to figure out the conversation. A, a second barrier uh, uh, is or are, I'm not good at English, uh, I'll just say the word assumptions, right? We assume way too much about the other person, right? And so I, sometimes, a lot of times, I'll be honest, I've been guilty of this. I'm listening to a friend share their story, and then in my memory bank, oh, I've heard this same similar story with three or four other different people or persons, so let me just stop you right there and let me give you my advice, and then you can move on. Oftentimes, we assume what people want to hear, right? Yes, it's called marriage. We assume what people want to hear, and based on our assumptions, we begin to say, well, do these 10 things, or do this, do that. It's, it's often the listener that has to improve. I don't know if you've ever caught that or not. Number three is we're looking for validation, 
We want to be the authority in the conversation. We want to look like we actually helped somebody. And fourthly, we're just busy, right? We're just, we're just busy. Families attend church less often. I think the average committed family attends church, I don't, I don't get to 0.5, but like 1.5 times a month. So maybe, like, I don't know, they do a drive-by and half the family rolls out. and <laughs> I don't know, but we're, ju- we're just busy. It is what it is. Right. And and I don't know about you, but uh, and I'm not an expert in this. It's very easy to make myself look like one uh, so I can get praise from you. But that's a false narrative that I'm trying to walk away from. But when I look at my calendar in a different month, in a in a good month, if Ben is on his game, I try to schedule all my coffee meetings and my lunches and any pastoral appointments that I have before I um, front load it with all the projects that I'm currently working on. And to be honest with you, I, I do have a great deal of introversion. I'm not apologizing for it, but there's a tendency for me to lean towards doing projects and looking competent because I came up with really good projects than it is to fill my calendar meeting with people. So I, if you identify as someone that's busy, I get it. But I just wonder what it would look like if you looked at your work schedule Instead of saying, how many more hours in a day I have, what if we just ask, like, how many more conversations do I get to have before I go home? Now, my job's different. I'm with multiple people throughout the week, multiple days. But, but it's, it's been a bit of a shift. It's been a bit of a focus uh, because I, I have found that it's not life-giving to come up with all these great ideas and nobody is walking with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you think you're a leader, turn around, see who's there, right? So let's talk about why, why is it so important to listen? Man, this is really good as someone who struggles to listen well. I think three things. We're going to throw up a little math equation on the board. Don't worry, there's not going to be a test. We're going to throw a little math equation. It's important to listen because if we don't, people feel uh, unheard. You ever been in a conversation where you're bearing your soul to somebody and, uh, you know, the, bzzz, the phone goes off and they keep, they keep looking at it? And I remember I was uh, counseling a student back in Ohio, and his stepdad the next day said, hey, man, we love you. We're big fans of Ben, Big Ben. But you got to stop looking at your phone when you're talking to our kid, man. It's, it's disrespectful. And I needed him to say that because I was unaware. I made that student feel like they were unheard. What is it about the that we have to, like, latch on to? What is it about that? Is, does, that, does it have to do something with, like, um, our insecurity with silence and not, you know, or always trying to, if we hear a noise, we're just, like, programmed. Like, when my Apple Watch goes off on my wrist, I'm programmed to look at it. I think sometimes people feel unheard is because we're not, yeah, we're just not fully present, right? I want to do an exercise with you. Don't worry, you don't have to stand up or say anything. But for the next 20 seconds... I'd like us to, as best as we can, experience pure silence. And in that 20 seconds, uh, I want to invite you to listen to see if you can hear anything as we experience 20 seconds of silence together. You ready? We're doing it anyways, okay? Here we go. Ready, set, go.
you hear anything? Anybody hear anything? Yeah, somebody's stomach ground. Yeah. Wow, we're that church. We're going to call you out. Yeah. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Uh, medium rare if you want to take me out to lunch. Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard, I heard uh, some noises, people moving their chair. Praise the Lord, we have AC. I heard that thing going, right? Wh- why is it that we can hear things when we actually slow down and when they, they've always been present in this room? These things were happening when you walked in. You just weren't aware of it. Why? Because you weren't fully present in the moment. And oftentimes what we do in our conversations is we spotlight grab. I, oh man, I am so guilty of this. Listening to someone, you're like, oh, I identify with that. Okay, do this. Now we're done. Right? And, we, and we're not, uh, man, there's a lot of words I could use here. Maybe secure in the gospel and in uh, listening to respond that we're just so quick to spotlight grab so we can be done with our conversation. But what would it look like? Like, what would it look like if we were willing to be fully present in the midst of listening to somebody, knowing in the back of our minds, I have no idea where to take this conversation? And that's okay. So if we don't listen well, people feel unheard, but also people feel unknown, which is kind of interesting, right? How can somebody who you've been friends with since high school, the last five years, ten years, Uh, you have a great relationship, how can they feel unknown? Well, nothing's more powerful than that moment. And if someone feels uh, unheard and unknown, for some people, it can erase that entire relationship. I hate calling major companies and being put on hold. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I call AT&T or the cable company or whatever, it's please hold one moment, and then there's like 30 minutes of Kenny G elevator music, and then it's like, please hold, and another, I've heard that solo again, I'm not a fan of him, but it's keep holding, keep holding, and they keep moving me around, and then you hear this audio clip. Then answer the phone! (laughs) Can I get an amen? Okay. I know this is uh, predominantly a Caucasian church, but you can say amen, okay? Yeah, if you say that I'm a val- I'm value to you, then pick up the phone. If you say that I'm valuable to you, then why are you looking at your phone while we're having coffee? Oh, we're getting serious now. Why are you diverting your eyes when I'm sharing a really hard thing? What is it about our culture that when we share heavy things that makes us feel uncomfortable versus settling in? and just being with somebody. Friends, most people aren't asking for your strategy, which I don't want to admit, <laughs> right? They're not looking for our strategy uh, for their problems. They're looking for support as they navigate their problems. Here's a great verse, proverb to memorize, Proverbs eighteen thirteen: To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. When we don't listen, friends, Uh, We make people feel unheard, unknown, and if they feel unheard and unknown, chances are they feel unloved. And that's subjective. And like I said before, you could be friends with someone for 10, 20, 30 years, your whole life, but if their perception is, you know, every time I talk to this person, I don't get a sense that they're fully present. I don't get a sense that they're for me. I get a sense that they're trying to, like, cherry-pick different parts of the conversation 
so that they can try and identify with me and then give me their advice. And I just really want someone to listen to me. And it's, it's insane that over time, if people feel unloved in our conversations with them, often, more than not, passive-aggressively, that conversation slowly fades away, right? You start hanging out less often, doing stuff together. You're not invited to your kids' birthday parties as you once were. It's because they feel unloved. Man, I, I love this quote. This is glorious, which is to say this is heavy. Uh, David Osberger once said, being listened to is so close to being loved that the average person cannot tell the difference. You have a friend like that? That this is true of them? That being listened to is so close to being loved that the average person cannot tell a difference? I do. I got a good friend like that. A few of them. I'm lucky. Three or four of them, actually. One of them lives here. You met him. He looks like a surfer from California, Josh Adsit. He's the lead pastor at Movement Christian Church. Man, when I get together with that guy, I clear out the rest of my day because it's intense. <laughs> and he just asked me, like, hey, man, how are you doing? How's RCC going? And uh, I, don't know why, I, I don't know why we as guys, I don't know, ladies do it, I'm sure, but I don't know why guys, we always talk about, like, productivity. I don't know, it's a thing, I guess, we have. How's it going, man? How's the church? And how's your family? And, and then he just, maybe he's a genius because we order first, then the food comes. And he's like, yep, yeah, keep, tell, you know, keep, keep going. And an hour later, he said little to nothing to me except for asking probing questions, right? And I walk away from those conversations so alive, so encouraged that, um, that I had someone that was willing to listen to me to be heard and to be, and I felt known, and because of that, I felt loved. And it's not hard, guys. It's not rocket science. We talked about in week one of our relationship goals that, like it or not, we stink as a country in connecting with other people. I think it was like 13% of 20,000 Americans say that they feel, which is hard to measure, they feel like nobody knows them, like at all. And I always walk away from my conversations with uh, Josh just so encouraged. And I, and I walk away like, he didn't really, he didn't speak that much, did he? No, because he was eating. But no, because he was interested in me, in my relationship with Jesus, in my well-being. And we need that, right? We need that, especially if you work at a church. Um, Jesus claimed to be God, which cat out of the bag, I think he was. Uh, that's what makes us a church and Christians, um, lived his life differently than other people in the first century. He seemed to actually care about people in the way he had conversations with them, and he stuck around long enough for that follow-up question, right? I've been guilty of this too. A you ever had a, a someone approach you and ask you, like, hey, how's it going? And you begin to talk, and they're, you know, their eyes are shifting. Okay, great, got to go. Uh, Jesus isn't that kind of God. He, se he seems to be deeply interested in our lives long enough to make us feel heard, loved, and known. Uh, there's a, a beautiful and heart-wrenching story in the Gospels where Jesus meets a blind man. And in the first century, if you have a deformity or ailment physically, uh, they think you sinned or that your parents sinned. We do this with mental health, Right? If you are uh, depressed, anxious, anxiety, there must be something spiritually wrong with you. 
So before you go making fun of the first century, we do the same thing uh, in, our, in, in our culture. In the first century culture, you can have a broken bone. You can't have a broken bone because something's wrong with you spiritually. In our culture, you can have a broken bro- bone, but you can't have a broken brain because if you have a broken brain, something's wrong with you spiritually. Look at me all feeling myself right now in the moment. Yeah, it's the same thing. And notice what Jesus asks this blind man. It's not going to be on the screen, but I just want to read you this story. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man. So Jesus heading to Jericho, right? He's traveling. Jesus is very popular at at this point in the Gospels. A blind man was sitting along the roadside begging because you can't get a job in the first century when you're blind. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked them what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Watch this. I got too excited, I lost my place. He called out, Jesus, son of David. Stop. This blind man said, oh, it's Jesus, son of David. Now, let me give you some Bible knowledge here. The Messiah was going to come through the lineage of David. And so what this blind man is saying, oh, that's Jesus, God in the flesh, the, uh, the guy that the entire Old Testament is about. Pretty perceptive, I would think, right? He's more than just a rabbi. He's more than just a teacher. He's more than just being from a place when he's created that place. I mean, that, that, that's a sermon in and of itself. But this blind man actually knows who, he knows who Jesus is. And what does he want from Jesus? Now, as an American, I think we would say, well, to have sight. Let, let's, let's fix or let's cure what everyone can observe in the room. But notice what he asked for. He says this, he says, he called out Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Interesting question that a God would care to ask that to a human. Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has healed you. Now, when he says your faith has healed you, it doesn't mean he squinted so hard that he got his sight back. No, no, no. Faith does not save you. That's religious talk. The object of your faith saves you. That would be Jesus. So what this man thought about Jesus, believed about Jesus, was true. And Jesus in this moment is actually honoring this man's theological view of actually who Jesus is. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw this, oh, they changed their mind, right? They all praised God. Isn't it interesting that if Jesus listened to, uh, to answer and not understand, he would have missed this. And the big takeaway that I take from this is that when you're talking to your friends, right, and they're, they're bearing their soul, sometimes what they think they need isn't always what they really need. This crowd 
probably thought that this blind man needed to be cured of his sight, as if something was wrong with being blind. That's ridiculous. No, what this man asked was, Jesus, you're the God of the Old Testament, which is a big thing to say in America in 2019, because a lot of people don't like God of the Old Testament. They like Christmas Jesus. Well, Jesus wrote the whole book. He was God of, of like Leviticus. Yeah, go read that before bed, right? <laughs> he believed that Jesus was God of all of Scripture, and he said, while I have a request given to me, I'm allowed to make this to Jesus, before I ask for sight, Jesus, have mercy on me because of my sin. Let me say that again, okay? Hit your spouse, tell them to wake up, or nudge them, don't hit, that's aggressive. Before this man asked for what we all thought he would ask for, what we would ask for, to be honest with you, he said there is something of greater value than being able to physically see. Jesus, I know you're the God of the entire Old Testament. I know you can do for me what no other rabbi can do for me, no, what no other religious person in my context can do for me. Would you please have mercy on my soul? The perspective that he had, right? Some of you have job interviews this week. Some of you have good, awesome, positive things happening this week. And so often our prayer is, help me advance. Help me get this job. Help me, help me get my sight. And the blind man said, wait a minute. I, I need to be more perceptive of what I actually need. Before I get the job, before I have an increase in pay, before I have this or that, what I actually need is a personal relationship with Jesus. Because I need Jesus to go to the cross to die for my sins and rise again three days later. If he does not do that, it doesn't matter if I get the job next Thursday at the interview. It doesn't matter if my, you know, my kid, little Johnny, gets a 4.0 and has a successful life. It all goes back into the box if Jesus doesn't die and rise again. Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. I wonder what it would look like if Jesus followers at RCC and those of you watching online would listen so that you could have the opportunity to talk to people that you trust and they trust you about the biggest, deepest felt need that they have is that a, of a relationship with Jesus. Well, my friend's already Christian. Great. They need to be reminded of the gospel again. May we as a church in our conversations listen so that other people feel heard, known, and loved so that we might have an opportunity, whether a 30-minute conversation over coffee at a coffee house or a three-minute texting conversation with a friend. Because it's so easy for us, and it's so easy for me, to stop at surface-level conversations. To say, well, I listened well, but you didn't perceive well. And what I love about the blind man, and what he can tell us today, is that our greatest need is to be in relationship with the living God, who, by the way, gave up heaven and crouched down like a good catcher and said, what, what can I do for you? 
I'm here. Uh, they've been writing about me for thousands of years throughout the Old Testament. You made it out of Egypt. You landed in Canaan. You're thriving and flourishing. What do you want me to do for you? When you think about God coming for you, do you think about God coming for you so that he can have a conversation with you? Chances are in this part of the country, even where I'm from, people don't think like that. They think God's coming out at them like a freight train, ready to just plow over anybody with his anger and his wrath. And yet, in this context and in this story, we find a God that so selflessly, and it's probably embarrassing if you're God to have to bend down at all, and looks at us and says, what, what, do you, what do you want me to do for you? And he allows us to perceive what we think our need is. And that's why Jesus says to this blind man, your faith has healed you because you believe that I can save your soul, and because I'm a good God, I'll give you the eyesight. I'll let you see, but because of your perception of reality isn't, can I nail or slay, as they say, the job interview, it's, Jesus, what are you doing in and through me and for me before, during, and after this interview? What's it doing to my spirit? What's it doing to my friend who keeps talking about the marriage that they're in that is not looking good? So do I just stay at a surface level? Or do I help them perceive what their greatest need is? Friends, if, if we're not leaders as Jesus followers in our conversations, who else is going to do it? Nobody's going to do it because they have a different worldview than us. May we be the kinds of Jesus followers that listen to understand, to make someone feel known and someone to feel loved. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for... Um, the humanity and your divinity, which sounds kind of weird, but the fact that you would leave heaven and not be like a politician that stays at a distance from your people, that you would get so close to us that you would be willing to ask, what do you want me to do for you? Um, I've got a lot of friends here, Jesus, that uh, are in tons of different kinds of relationships, Work relationships, home relationships, sporting relationships, workout relationships. And Jesus, it, it's easy to not represent you in conversation because really all they really want, their perception of reality is just on the, you know, the surface. Although that's, surface things aren't shallow, it's important to them. But I find myself guilty of this too, not seizing the opportunity to listen in a way that might invite someone's curiosity to think about a God that loves them so much. A God that wants them to be known, understood, and loved. May we be those kinds of people that do that this week. And as we sing this song open, may we sing it as, a, as an invitation that we, we want to be open to those moments. We want to be open to your spirit. And it's not a song that we sing because we're here and what else we're going to do, but it, it, it's a cry of our heart that we're open to what you would have for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.